0: You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady begins chapter 6 of Romans and preaches from verses 1 through 14. This passage teaches us that, through Christ, we have been made dead to sin and alive to God. It's our prayer that God's Word will challenge and encourage us today. Good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 6? Romans 6 is going to be our passage for today. And as you are turning there, I need to give you some vital information as to what is coming to you over the course of this next week and into next weekend. This coming Saturday, this is wild. It's unbelievable. How did it get here so fast? But this Saturday, this coming Saturday is, is New Year's Eve. Did you hear me? I almost said it. It's Christmas Eve. And we have our Christmas Eve services that are going to be on our campus in this room, Lord willing, at 4 p.m., And 6 p.m. this coming Saturday, if you have never come to a Broadmoor Christmas Eve service, listen to me, you want to make it a priority of your Christmas Eve services, make sure that we are here. And I would encourage you with this as well. I know, look, I'm talking to you as one of you because I love you. I know there's a lot of times that we know service starts at 9.30 and we get here about 9.35 And we get in our seats about 9.52 and we're like, hey, let's go. Don't let that happen on Saturday because I'm not promising you that you will have a seat, okay? Make sure if you're coming to the 4 o'clock, get here early. If you're coming to the 6 o'clock, get here early. It is going to be an absolute great time. And then one more encouragement I want to give to you. Sunday is Christmas Day. And we are having services on Sunday. And we would love for you to join us on that day. One service at 9.30, our regular time, right here in this room, okay? And and here's, here's what I know, okay? It's Christmas. It's a lot of life. There are no life groups meeting on that day. There is no childcare on that day. And you're like, Josh, you don't want me here if there's no childcare. We do, we expect it to be absolutely real and raw and authentic. If people aren't running down the aisles, it probably wasn't a good Sunday, okay? That's just kinda how we are going to view it. Come as you are if that's your christmas pjs or that's your sunday best doesn't matter We want you in this room. The service is going to be a little different We're not going to stay in romans on sunday. Uh, we're going to deviate a little We're just going to join together We're going to sing carols and hymns and there's going to be a very short message You're like josh. You can't say your name in 10 minutes. I know but it's still going to be short. Okay, we're going to get there The service as we are planning it should run about 30 to 40 minutes. And so we would love for you to be here on Christmas Day. And if you're thinking, well, I'll catch it on the next one. The next time Christmas falls on a Sunday is 2033. So... I would encourage you to make this one a priority. It is 30 to 45 minutes out of your incredible day. And I promise you, you won't walk out saying, man, I hate that I came to church today. I pray it's going to be a good day, okay? That's my pitch to you. We have our Christmas Eve service on Saturday and our Christmas Day service on Sunday. That being said, let's jump into the text this morning, okay? We are entering a new section of Romans. And what I mean by that, so far we've talked a lot about theology, we've talked a lot about why we are the way we are, kind of, kind of why are we in the shape that we are in. And as we move from chapter six through the end of chapter eight, Paul gets incredibly practical on what the Christian life is to be, and he's going to come at it from a unique angle. He's going to have this idea that it's going to follow this progression. What you think will become what you believe will become what you do, okay? So everything that he builds on from this moment will fall into those categories. It is going to change the way that we think. And that thinking will change what we believe, core convictional values that we hold. And then from there, those core convictional values in our hearts and minds will then lead to a life that prove what is in our hearts, okay? So today we jump into something that's incredibly practical and I pray that it is going to be good. But let me give a quick review as we jump into Romans chapter six. Remember, this is a letter written to a church in Rome. The church seems to be fractured over many different things, but, but really, it's over Jewish culture and Gentile culture. Which one's right? Which one's more right? Which one is more honoring to God? Jews believed that they were better because in their mind, they were God's promised people. The Gentiles believed that they didn't need anything the Jews had to offer by the ways of traditions of their faith. And Paul's aim was to help both of them understand that they are equally mortally broken without the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. He aims to help them know that both of them, both both the Jew and the Gentile, are saved in the exact same way. And that's by God's grace alone. But in all of Paul's wisdom, in all of his boldness, Paul had some critics, not not just scholars who who have gone over his letters time and time and time again throughout the generations, but in the first century As he is preaching in real time, there would be people who would stand up after it was over and say, well, I have an objection about this, or I have a critique that I would like to offer you here. Sometimes they would give that in writing. The reason we know is because the way in which he orders these letters. So one of Paul's early critiques, particularly to the Roman church, is some believe that Paul jumped from justification, from salvation, straight to glorification, Anytime you do the shuns at the end of a word, it starts to sound big, this this idea. Being saved to going home to glory. And there would be some people who would say, Paul, there's a lot of life that happens in between those two moments. Where is that? Because what you're telling me is, there's nothing that I can do to be saved, it's by grace alone, and one day we're going to see God face to face and that's gonna be a glorious day. What happens in the in-between? And I think that's an an honest assessment of some of Paul's writings. But Paul doesn't intentionally leave them out. He's building a case. And it is this. If we understand how we are saved and we understand where we are going, then the in-between is going to change in meaning. Because if you believe it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and you believe that God holds you all the way to the end, then the in-between, hopefully, is going to relieve the pressure off of you, thinking it's about you and what you do. That somehow, you are clinging to your salvation, and if you happen to mess up, or let go, or doubt for a moment, then it's gone. Paul says, there's nothing you did to get it, there'll be nothing you can do to lose it. But you've got to get that before we get to the practical. And that is what we've been building to. And so today we get into something incredibly rich and deep and doctrinal, and I pray incredibly practical for us. But even as we are thinking through some of these critiques, another critique that came through, you heard it early on in chapter three and you're going to hear it as it continues. And it's this idea, Okay, if we are saved by grace through faith, and it's nothing that we've done, and, and this idea if, if, if sin abounds, then grace abounds all the more. Paul writes this in Romans 3. We, we've already talked about it, but I want to remind you, Romans 3, verse 8. And here's one of the, the thoughts. He asked the question. So why not do evil so that good may come? As he says some people are slanderously charging us with this saying. Their condemnation is just what he's saying is, look, that's a a natural thought. Here's kind of for us as we we continue on, okay? So so did Paul misunderstand his teaching? Or was he teaching a false gospel? What does Paul have to say for himself with these thoughts and these accusations in view? Well, that's exactly where we pick up today. Read with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Now, now pause right there. We're More, more to that, but this, this verse sets us up for today. This is the natural destination for the carnal mind. And we've all been there and we've all thought this. Here, here's kind of how it, it goes in our head. I might as well keep sinning because I know Jesus is going to forgive me. Now, I'm not going to do the raise your hand if you've ever been there thing because I know we've all been there at one time or another is this right though if our if our continual sinning brings more of god's grace to us and then more of god's grace to us brings more of god's glory to him then shouldn't we just keep sinning so his glory can be seen on the earth aren't we just doing our part now of course that sounds crazy town But how many of us, again, don't answer this out loud, completely rhetorical. How many of us have ever fallen into sin and were convinced by the enemy that you've already messed up, you might as well keep going? I mean, you've already blown it. You might as well just keep keep going through it. I'm going to talk more as a silly illustration in just a minute. We are in the season of this struggle. I like when we call sin struggles. Whenever people bake things and they bring you things to eat for your whole family, this is hypothetically speaking, of course, and they put things on your desk that is meant for five to seven people and turns out I'm five to seven people, hypothetically speaking, of course, because there's a moment that you taste it and the taste is right, but the second may not be nor the third or the fourth or the 14th. But the thought is this, I've already messed it up, I'll start again tomorrow. Has anybody ever done that? Great, we're great, we're all there. Silly illustration, but it's not too far from how many times we treat sin in our life. real deep broken disgusting sin that we hate yet we find ourselves in it and we don't know what to do about it so we just hang in there because we know at the core of who we are jesus still loves us and he's going to forgive us so we might as well stay in it paul says absolutely not we are not to continue in sin so grace may abound so so put that way of thinking out of your mind verse 2 by no means How can we who died to sin still live in it? Died? What what is Paul talking about here? Verse 3 comes into view. Look what it says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Have you ever wondered why we say what we say in the baptistry? It's right here. You've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. That's not because we thought that was something smart to say. We get that from the Apostle Paul. That's what happens to us. That is the outward expression of the inward change. Paul explains in this passage that baptism is a symbol of what what has happened to us, that we have been buried with Christ in his death, in order that we may be raised to live our life for the glory of God so that we can live a brand new life, not marked by the old us, but marked by the new us. Christian, you've died to yourself and you've been buried with Christ in the same glorious way that he was raised from the dead, so are you. And not so we can go about our old way of living, but to live a new way. Paul continues this thought and this idea in verse five. Look with me. For if we have been united with him in his death, then certainly we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. So so this idea united with, it's, it's an agricultural term. It's a gardening term. It's this idea and the author of Hebrews is going to expound on it a little bit more. It's this idea of being grafted in. And here's kind of how that works. You you take the strong stalk of something, something the roots run down and they run deep. And then you, you have a notch that is cut into that stalk. And then you take a branch that's cut off. It's in effect dead. It has nothing giving it life, no nutrients, nothing. It is in itself gone. But then the gardener would come and it would trim away some of the outside edge of that branch and then it would attach it to the healthy stalk and it would wrap it around and over enough time and space, that branch becomes what the root system is. That's the picture that's being painted here. When you see this this idea, our English translation, united with him, one Greek word, united with him, we are being joined together. We've been made into something new. His death brought atonement and justification for us. It brought salvation to us. Jesus dying took our place where we should have died. Therefore, we will certainly, if we're united in him in his death, we are certainly going to be united with him in his resurrection. If the first happened, if, if salvation happened, if justification happened, and it did, then the second thing that Paul brings up is going to happen, and it will, and that's the resurrection. So now we get to the really, really good stuff. Paul explains what happens to the Christian as the result of of this. What happens to his followers as we continue our life in pursuit of who he is and what he's called us to be. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right, church family, theology matters. I know that you know that theology is this idea. uh, Theo being God, ology the study of the study of God matters. Your theology matters. What you believe will guide how you live. Okay. Verse six of chapter six is vitally important for what you believe and how you're going to live. So so I wanna read it one more time. We know that our old self, that that is you, pre-Christ, that is you, Romans one, that is us dead in our sins, no help for us anywhere to be found. The old self was crucified, why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. All right, church, hear this and remember this. Our whole life, our, our whole knowing life, and this idea of, of us. Understanding who we are, understanding our broken nature, understanding that we aren't who we hoped we would be and we continually try to to fix it on our own. And it goes two ways. Number one, we try really hard and we like the effort that we give on the good days. But on the hard days and on the bad days, the days where all the, the, the wheels begin to fall off the wagon and then we can't even find the wagon... A thing that we do has been the very thing that we've done all the way from the beginning to Genesis chapter three. When we get caught in our sin, we hide. And that life, church family, is exhausting. It is tiring so much that that at some point we just throw, if, if your idea, if your theology tells you that your life is about you making yourself right with God, then that is an exhausting way to live and you're not going to make it. That's, that's why Paul builds the case. You were saved by grace and you were kept by grace. What Christ did, he has done. There's nothing that can change that. We're going to get more into that into Romans 8, but he's got to build this case. If not, we get into a really bad place. And verse 6 of chapter 6 is incredible. We know that the old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. We'll talk about it when we get back together on New Year's Day. What is the wages of sin? It's death. All right. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Correct? Right. So if all have sinned and the wages of sin is death, then that means that everyone has death coming for them. There's no escaping it. And as we see this, we, we, we understand this, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing through Christ. That, that's why we've been crucified with him. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Church, the only thing that can kill what's killing us Is Jesus Christ not try harder or do better I need to get that out on the front end because when we finish today's sermon you're going to hear a little bit of try harder and do better but the purpose behind it matters eternally to be a follower of Christ isn't to say whoa I hope it all turns out okay to be a follower of Christ is to be someone who is mindful over our words and our actions to be mindful of of what we are doing and what what we are conveying with the life that we live. But that order matters. You're not doing those things to get God's affection. We are doing those things because we have God's affection. So this is what we need to know on the front end. The only thing that can kill what's killing us is Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you have spent your entire life trying to make yourself better and you can't figure out why you can't, it is because Christ alone can kill what's killing you. You can't. Christ alone can set us free from sin and its eternal hold on us. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says it a little bit later and what we'll get into in the next couple of weeks, that, that death is coming for us all. No way to escape that reality. And since that's the case, we need to be looking for someone or something that has conquered death. Someone that death has no power over. And when we find that person, church, we want to be united with them forever. And so... As you begin to quickly look to see who fits this description, you are going to find pretty quickly that that list is incredibly short. As a matter of fact, there's only one name that appears on that list, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, I know, I know that seems very elementary, but if that's the case, then why do we look for other things to do what only Christ can do in our life? Why are we constantly running after other things that aren't going to satisfy our hearts? Why are we looking for other things that are going to to bring some kind of eternal hope for us outside the person and the work of Christ? So Paul is making this case here. If, If we fall into that category, I guess there's comfort in knowing we're not the only ones. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. Now if we've died with Christ... We believe that we have also been called to live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Church, this is the good news of the gospel. This is why we with joyful and glad hearts cling to Christ. He defeated hell, death, and the grave. And he will never die again because of what he has done. Sin's curse is forever broken over those that belong to him. Praise God. What incredible news. But that's not the end of the story. So what do we do with that good news? A lot of us can get here and amen that and say, Josh, I know that. That's why I'm here. I love the Lord Jesus. If that's the case, if that's you, if that's where we are today, Paul has some very practical instruction for us. Listen, it is pointed, it is clear, but for one of many reasons, it is hard to do. Let's jump into the practical nature of it. Look at verse 11. So you, so so far we've talked about Christ. We've talked about his glory. We've talked about, about sin having no dominion over him and he gets all glory, honor, and praise. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, so Paul says because of who Jesus is and what he has done, through him and his work, we now have responsibilities. We are re- the redeemed life that he has trusted to us. We, we are responsible for that now. Now, now hear me out. Because if, if you're not listening carefully, it's going to sound like I'm moving to a works-based salvation. No. What I'm about to tell you is not how you get saved. How you get saved is by grace through faith. What I'm about to tell you is what you do with the salvation that has been graciously granted to you. Are we all there? Okay, here we go. Paul gives us the, the simplest yet most profound view of the Christian life in verse 11. And it comes in two parts. Number one, consider yourself dead to sin. Number two, consider yourself alive to God in Jesus Christ. That is the Christian life. So we'll look at the first part, dead to sin. Christian, we are to resolve it in our hearts. We must make it up in our minds that we will no longer be controlled by sin. It is to be dead to us. Okay? We know this to be true because the scriptures tell us over and over and over again. But do you believe it? Do you believe that you have the ability to say no to the sin that so easily entangles you? Because a lot of times we hear, but it's just who I am. It's the natural desires that I have. Brother, sister, Christ's work in you has given you the power to say no. To fight that sin that entangles you. We are to resolve this in our hearts and our minds before we venture out into the world. Resolve yourself dead to sin. Because if we wait to decide what we believe in the moment of temptation, we do not stand a chance. You say it a different way. If you wait, until you are in a moment of temptation to decide where you stand with the Father, you are in a really, really bad place. Before we get up, before we get out of our beds, before we leave our houses, before we get into the world, we must be resolved in us that we belong to him and that we have died to the sin nature inside of us. Not only are we to be dead to sin, the second thing, we are to be alive to God. So not only are we to be resolved to say sin, sin is dead to us, but we are to resolve, make up our minds that we are alive to God and Jesus Christ. We have been saved. We've been justified to God by Christ so that we can live and do good works for him. So that through your good works, people will see our father and worship him. All right, think about it this way, all right? How much focus... Do you spend in your prayer time asking God to forgive what you've done wrong compared to asking him to bless what he has trusted good to you? And the reason I ask that is because I live in the same place that you live. So often our prayer time is, God, I am so sorry that I messed up again. God, keep me away from this thing. God, please make sure I don't fall into this temptation again. And what Paul is saying is we are not to just li- to live defensively. And that is right. We, we are to, to ask the Lord not to lead us into temptation. But we are called to live on the offense of God. Use what you've trusted to me for your glory. We're not just saved from sin, church. We are saved to God. This is Paul's answer to his critics. No, you can't continue in sin because you were forgiven. That's crazy. Your salvation isn't just to forgive the bad, but it's also to empower and glorify the good so that God is seen, worshiped, and trusted. This isn't just to be a mindset though, but a core convictional belief that leads to bold, consistent, Action, Paul says it this way in verse 12, 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. All right, so Paul's implication is here that we by God's grace have the power to choose what we will do with our bodies. We have power and choice over the passions that we so intensely experience. Paul's challenge, don't let sin reign in you. If we are not to practice sin, then what are we to practice? Paul says we're called to practice righteousness. These verses call us to live a Christian life that is active in two specific ways. Again, we talked about it a little bit, this idea of playing on the defensive. Don't present your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't actively put yourself in situations where you have the opportunity to do ungodly things. Another silly illustration. Imagine this in my life, hypothetically speaking. If you have a problem eating a family-sized pack of double-stuffed Oreos, Yuri family, I see you. They are my suppliers. Don't come and say, I don't know why I keep eating the whole pack. What do you do if that's you? Don't buy the Oreos. <laughs> Guarantee you that wasn't Miss Kathy Uri though. She's my supplier. I love her. If you struggle around the Oreos, stay out of the store. Silly illustration to prove a really important point for us. You are saved and redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Your eternity is secure if you have trusted in him. But you are responsible over your own life. The life you live matters. It brings glory to God or it doesn't. And so what Paul is saying here, if there are things in your life that you know you struggle against, war against those things. They're not pet sins. It's going to destroy you. Don't have it in your house. Don't have it near you. Stay away from the places that have it. Hide, run, fight, whatever you do, stay away from that. But that's the defensive side. That's right, but that's not only here, here, here's this idea. By God's grace, you have the ability to fight sin. But in this life that Christ has trusted to us is so much poor, so much more. Christ has called us as his followers to be on the offensive. So, so we are called to, to do, do present yourselves to God. As someone that has been brought from death to life. That's what he says here. Imagine that statement. If you were dead and God made you alive, what would you do when you became back alive? how would you live that redeemed life? What would your response to God be? Paul says, this is the mindset of the believer. He says that we are to offer our members to God as instruments of righteousness. Here is a prayer for you to consider. God, here I am, all of me. Use me whatever way you see fit. God, here I am all of me. Why is that important? Because so often we believe God only wants what we deem to be good. You know what the Bible says about our good? Our righteousness is but filthy rags. The only thing good in us is Christ. And so what we do when we come to him and we offer ourselves as living sacrifice, we, we say, God, here I am, all of me, use me, my good, my bad, my ugly, you know it all, you have it all, so use it. But you may be sitting here and you say, well, Josh, what about our sin? If you knew me, you knew I couldn't pray that prayer. You, you know Romans 1, you read it. We're not great people. We can't get out of our own way. There's no depth to our depravity. Yeah but because of Christ look at the very next verse our worship team's going to come back up and we're going to move into response time but i don't want you to miss this verse 14 for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace so 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 far in chapter 6 paul has built this case for who Christ is he's defeated hell death and the grave sin has dominion over him no more And because we have put our hope and trust in him, because we have been buried with him and raised to new life in him, sin has no dominion over us. But too many times we believe the lie of the enemy, hearing in our ears and in our hearts this lie. It's just who you are. Can't get out of it. There's been too much stuff that's happened in your life. You can't shake this. Maybe for somebody else, but not for you. That is the lie of the enemy. If you were in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God in his grace and his power and might has given you the ability to fight and war against sin. And you will not and cannot do it in your own strength. It is in the strength of Christ alone. We must remember verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. There is no qualifier there. It doesn't say, if this, then this. If you were in Christ, sin has no dominion over you. It is indeed the Christmas season. I'm going to take you all the way back to Genesis 3. There was Adam and there was Eve. There was somebody else in the garden that day that it all went down. There was the serpent. You remember that? And then when when all of it shook down and and, and they hid because of their sin and and God began to, to call them to task and he talked to Adam and he talked to Eve. And Eve said, that serpent That serpent tricked us. God said, I got something for that serpent. I'm going to send one one day. It'll come through you, Eve. And his heel will crush his head. And that is why, church family, Christmas is so vitally important to us. Because it wasn't through the seed of Adam that Christ came. It was through the seed of God and Eve that Christ came. And it is through his heel that he crushed the serpent's head. And because that head is now crushed, sin has no dominion over you. The only thing that can kill what's killing you is Christ Jesus. And that is why as we get closer to Christmas Day, this Advent wreath grows brighter and brighter. For us, December 21st, Winter solstice, the darkest day of the year. And it is around that time frame that this wreath begins to glow the brightest. And the idea is that in our deepest, darkest moments, Christ came to illuminate our life. So, even as we have dove into much doctrine today, I don't want you to miss the beautiful, applicable point that if you are in Christ, you are brand new. The old you is gone. You're not a slave to it anymore. Are you still going to struggle? Sure, but you don't have to be mastered by it. It has no dominion over you. I'm not telling you you walk out of here and you're not going to desire to do all of those things anymore. What I'm telling you is you have power to say no. So when we speak, we speak authoritatively, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of who Christ is and what he's done. We have been buried with him. And we have been raised to walk in the newness of life. Church family, this is that new. So as we move into this invitation time, I simply ask you to consider your life as it is today. What are the things in your life that are holding you that have no business or power to do so? I'm going to ask you in this invitation time whether you want to come forward and pray or you want to come and use this as an altar and pray to the Lord or pray right where you are that you confess that very specifically to the Lord in your heart. Confess that to the Lord. He knows. You're not going to give him information he doesn't have. You need to know what you have been given authority over to that's not its to have. Confess it. And let the truth of God's word wash over you. That if you were in Christ, sin no longer has dominion over you, you are set free free to live and free to bring glory to God just as you are bringing glory to God as he changes you and sanctifies you you were saved by grace you're going to be kept by grace but it's our salvation process this, this process of sanctification that moves us from this spot to this spot and this sanctification process is calling us to daily choose what we are going to give our life to so what will you give it to To you, exhausting. We make terrible gods. To other things, we learned in Romans 1, that's not good. Or to the Father, who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. Church family, would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for this word over my heart. It has been a great encouragement to me. It always is. Thank you God for saving me and I knowing that that salvation is secure for it's nothing that I've done. There's all glory to you for you've done it. I thank you that you hold me until the end. All glory to you. But Lord, even in my sanctification process and the in between, I know that even in the choice and the power that you've trusted to us, to fight for holiness in our lives, to choose rightly in our lives, to repent of sin rightly in our lives. We give you all glory, honor, and praise because we know we can't do that without you. So help us, Father, as men and women in this room today, as as people who, who are believers, yet we are so easily entangled in sin. God, help us be free, understanding our freedom that you have already purchased for us. Please do not let us leave the same people who walked in. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church family, would you stand with me?